This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Sitting here to my left, Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, hi. Are you enjoying the baseball season? I'm loving baseball I'm season. loving the baseball season. We've seen so many interesting things happen, and it's only been like 10 games or so of baseball. Hey, we've got a really special guest on the phone with us today. I'm very excited to have joining us from Fox Sports, from MLB Network, the hardest working man in baseball, Ken Rosenthal. Ken, how are you? I'm well, Mike. Thank you. Ken, I've got a very important question for you. You, I, uh, you appeared at the Sabre Analytics Conference in Arizona. Uh, I saw that you liked the piece I did on, on pitch time, and I know you're working on something about Yesiel Puig and exit velocity. Has Brian Kenny won? Have you become a quote-unquote stats guy? I've told Brian Kenny repeatedly that he has won, and he doesn't believe me. <laughs> it's like the Japanese soldier running around still fighting World War II. <laughs> and actually, I'm serious about this, that the idea that analytics has not been fully embraced and that there's still a war to be won, I'm not buying that. I actually believe that the battle is over and that it has been incorporated. Now, the battles now are more about application and is this use of analytics proper? And it's kind of an extension of the old argument, I guess. But the question of whether all 30 teams is using this stuff, that question was settled quite a while ago. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. And uh, I think we just know that from being internal here. Every single team has access to the StatCast data. What they do with it, it varies by team. But you're absolutely right. Every team uses scouts. Every team uses stats. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But, you know, I'm curious. You've seen some of this new data, and obviously you're using a lot of it. What's what's kind of like a mystery of baseball that you hope we're going to be able to answer with some of this stuff? Outfield defense. That is by far and away the thing that I'm looking forward to seeing StatCast and other measures give us a better read on. Because we have measures for outfield defense. I don't really trust them. I don't trust defensive run safe. It can be revealing, but is it entirely accurate? I don't know. But now with that cast, you'll be able to measure routes. You'll be able to measure, and we are measuring efficiency and all of that. That part of it, to me, really will give you a lot. Now, I guess in the infield, it's a little more difficult. Mike, you can speak to this better than I can. But even there, there will be some enlightenment, I would expect, as well. Yeah, I think we're obviously hopeful that's true. Um, when you look at some of this stuff, you know, spin rate, exit velocity, I, I saw you in person in the, in the Padres locker room in, in spring training, and obviously you were working in the room and doing a great job talking to anybody. Do you ever bring this kind of stuff up to them? Like, do they ask them about spin rate? I've not asked about spin rate yet. I don't know that I've asked much about exit velocity other than to mention to players, well, if that's how you're being measured, that, that's how you should get paid. But, of course, that's not how they're getting paid. And I don't know that players, for the most part, pay much attention to this. There are some players who definitely do. And pitchers especially, I've found, are or can be fascinated by the analytics and use it in a helpful way to make themselves better. But it's 
not something that comes up in the normal conversation in the clubhouse, from what I've seen. An experience. Ken, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you a little bit about some of what we're seeing right now in the uh, in the young season. Um, other than injury, are there any anything any teams that you've substantially changed your view on already? Or even mildly changed your view yeah, on this, already? This is a trick question, by the way, because <clears throat> my view is clearly there's nothing we could learn so far in, like, seven games that should change what we think about a team other than, you know, Schwarber or A.J. Pollock or something like that. I, I'm right. curious to see what I you think. I saw you tweet about that the other day, Mike. Yes. No, I would not say anything definitively has changed. However, if you want to look at the Orioles in a different light, and I don't know that you should. I still don't expect them to be a contending team. But the argument for them, which we've seen play out a little bit, big power, very good bullpen, very good defense. They've got everything, it seems, but a quality starting rotation. Now, can you win with a rotation that has been as feeble as theirs has been, even in this successful run? I know the ERA is good, but they're not pitching deep into games. I don't think so, but... I think after this start, it is possible to take more of a half-full view than a half-empty. And I maintain my half-empty view, but I was turned a little bit by what I saw in the past week. Well, I think you hit on something important there, and that's the difference between uh, perception and probability. I, I agree with you. I, I look at that team, and I don't really perceive them any differently than I did before the season started. But I can't ignore the fact that they actually have won these games, and they've banked these wins. And so that will help them as they're trying to, to work towards the playoff race. They're kind of starting from a head start, essentially. Whether they get there, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think Ken thinks so. I don't think Matt thinks so. No. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're looking at some of these teams, you know, obviously it's, it's been a very small sample. What kind of stuff will you really put weight into when you're making evaluations? You know, for example, I, I tweeted this morning, the Marlins have a 356 batting average on balls in play. The Mariners have a 224. Major League average is just under 300. Obviously that stuff's going to even out. But I think a lot of people look at that and say, wow, that's a new skill. I don't quite feel that way. What stands out to you? At this early stage, the thing I really look at most is rotation. And just how they're performing early. The Red Sox rotation, for instance. Now, it's a question beyond price. It remains a question beyond price. And I don't know that it's getting better. So that is something that I have been kind of looking at closely. But as far as other things, I remember last year, and I guess this would be an anti-analytics argument to some extent, but there was a lot of excitement metric community about the Dodgers bullpen and about the way it was constructed so cheaply and the guys are performing well and they all came back to earth and that's why it's so tricky to really get caught up in anything that's going on for a month even two months this all balances out or plays out during the course of the season and only really do we get better evaluations as it goes on now that doesn't mean we don't sit here and look at things and wonder and judge but one week is definitely too early. Usually the quarter pole is a better measure, I, I find. But even then, not everything comes to pass at the quarter pole that ultimately proves the course of the season. Now, I think you're absolutely right about not putting too much into early season trends. Uh, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. Strikeouts are up again. Uh, it, it kind of plateaued for the last two years or so at 20%. Now it's up to 22%, which would be yet another record. And, you know, it could just be an early season thing, possibly so. But if not, do you think that there's going to be a, a time where the league tries to do something about that? And if so, what, what can they do? Well, this is a trend. So when we see 22%, like you're saying, Mike, I don't know that you can just dismiss that because it's been going on for, what, six or seven years now. 
Now, going forward, to me, I believe that teams need to teach hitting differently. And enough of the big swinging. How about playing like Kansas City and San Francisco a little bit, putting the ball in play? We're seeing this trend have very positive results. Now, it doesn't always translate. We know that. But striking out, I know a few years ago, it was not looked at as negatively as perhaps it should be. But it's come to pass, not only is it bad for the teams that have those high strikeout rates, it's bad to watch. I don't know that it's healthy for the sport to have this lack of action that we have. So I would like to see instruction improve in this regard and start from there. So strikeouts are up again. Uh, home runs are up a little bit. Uh, it's the highest fly ball, home run per fly ball percentage since 2003. And I, I don't know if those things are, are separate. Matt, I know you have a, a theory there, right? You think that everybody's just trying to, to grip it and rip it, essentially? It, that's what it seems like. I mean, it certainly explains some of the, what might, might you know, there's a lot of in theories about the spike in home runs late last year, some of it attributed to all the great young hitters that came up. And I feel like, sort of to Ken's point, that the philosophy that, that's being taught now is... As you said, rip it and rip it, and it's just a lot of guys who come up and swing as hard as they can and, and don't strike out. And uh, Ken, I guess we're wondering what your thoughts on maybe what what the the what for the rise in home runs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the right answer. <laughs> it's not something I, I study a whole lot. I'm not an analytics guy. Obviously, I don't do that as well or nearly as well. Not even one tenth as well as guys like Mike and Dave Cameron and Jeff Sullivan. It's not something I worry about on a daily basis, but I generally believe, Matt, that it's what you're saying, that that's what's taught now. Grip it and rip it, try to crush the ball, and it has led to these three true outcome trends, essentially. You know, I want to uh, I want to switch gears to another trend we're seeing. Um, this has been something that's been kind of my baby for like the last three years. Pitters being more aggressive. You know, we saw for years work the count, try to get into the bullpen, and now that seems a little insane because you got guys in the sixth inning coming out and throwing 99 right. miles an hour. Um, and it's interesting because we saw a bit of a jump in that from 2014 to 2015. It went up from 27% to 29% swinging at first pitches. It's actually fallen back a little bit this year to 28%. And that's despite the fact that the Rays have had this enormous jump. They swung at the first pitch 32% last year. It's up to 42% this year, which is huge. And I think that that's not an accident. They've clearly seen this trend. And so really two questions for you, Ken. One is, do you agree with that strategy? And two, what have you heard from inside the game about people taking this approach? Well, that's interesting. And I saw Jeff Sullivan's article about the Rays the other day, and I was fascinated by it. That's not something 10 years ago anyone would have picked up, right? Jeff picked it up, and I guess others picked it up right away. I would imagine because the Rays are feeling that maybe the pitchers that they're facing are around the plate, they can do that with. I don't know what they can do with every pitcher. I don't know that you'd face a Matt Latos to take that approach, a guy who can be wild at times. But it is interesting, and clearly the idea of avoiding bullpens, that's something that we have seen develop in the last few years. What's the point of wearing down the Kansas City rotation when you're only getting Herrera, et cetera, and Davis down at the end? So that makes a ton of sense. As for swinging at first pitches, per se, that I don't know as much about, and I haven't heard as much about that talked about in the game. The idea of getting to bullpens and that changing, that is definitely taking place, not by accident and for very good reason. 
So it's interesting. We we have a team in Chicago now who has kind of gone in the other direction. You know, obviously they're a great team, and everybody thinks they're the favorite, but they are on track uh, to be the most patient team in, right. in baseball history. We just had August Figerstrom on our site from Fangraphs write about this that they're going to have the highest walk rate probably in the history of baseball. Uh, and it's interesting to see a team that that is kind of analytics forward going a little bit that other direction. I think. But really, my question for about the Cubs for you is, Kyle Schwarber. Does he ever play another game for the Cubs? And I, and I don't mean that he won't come back from injury. I just mean if he can't catch anymore and they don't ever want to put him in the outfield, is this, is this the last we've seen of him? Is he traded somewhere? I think that's a fair question. And actually, I did a video the other day and talked about that. Where is he going here? What are we doing? And in my view, you know, the view of a lot of people, he's an American League player because this could affect his ability to catch somewhat. It certainly increases the risk. And in the outfield, I don't want to give up on the guy because he is a good athlete and he has worked at it. But we've seen some things now, and we saw a terrible injury that resulted in part, perhaps, from his inexperience. So what you ask is very fair. Will he play another game for the Cubs? I would expect that would happen, Mike. I don't know that his long-term future is with the Cubs, though. All right, can we have one more question for you before we let you go? Um, you know, we just talked about the Cubs and the Rays, two clubs that are very well known to be for being analytically inclined. You know, from your time, you know, from what you know around the game, you're obviously very well connected. Is there a club out there that's more analytically inclined than they're giving credit for? Like, who's the most stealth analytic underrated team? Underrated analytics. analytic team that maybe the public doesn't know about? That's a really good question. Allow me to think about it. <laughs> I would, all right, I'll say this. Marlins are getting that way. They're getting more that way. They finally started incorporating analytics with this latest front office. It's front office number 23 under Loria. But, yes, they are moving in that direction. I don't know that there's one that is necessarily stealth, because I think now we know all the actors. We know who they are. People would probably be surprised to know the extent of the Yankees' operation. I did an article a few years ago. I think it was about the 10th anniversary of Moneyball, the book, something like that. And I went really deeply into the topic and discovered that the Yankees had the largest analytics department by a million miles. At the time, they had something like 20 to 30 in their department, while the A's had two. I don't know that most people realize that. I think people understand the Yankees are an analytics team for many reasons. But at the same time, how deep they're into it, I'm not sure that is well known. I think it's interesting because I wouldn't have thought of the Marlins, and that's why I'm glad you asked that question, Matt, because we've talked about the Marlins a lot on this show. They are our favorite stat cast team from Gordon and Caps and Romito and Stanton and Ozuna and, and Yelich and so on. So uh, just another reason to find them fascinating, I guess. Hey, Ken Rosenthal, thanks so much for your time. Really good stuff. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Absolutely. That's Ken Rosenthal from Fox Sports and his MLB Network. And he, uh, listen, if you follow this show, then you already follow Ken, so you know who he is. But great stuff from Ken. Thanks again. Well, uh, Ken Rosenthal is awesome, and I, I've had the opportunity to spend some time with him. But, you know, you don't think of the big national guys as being really kind of uh, interested in learning about the new stats, but I think he stands out in that regard. I really I respect that about him. Yeah, no question. you got to keep up with the times. Like a lot of the like the GMs, you see GMs in the game who sort of have, have evolved over the years. So it's uh, if you're a national reporter like that, it's only natural. I think that's absolutely true. So let's get back to some of the early season trends we've started. Uh, I have to ask you a question. Who has the best rotation in baseball right now. And I say this, it's like 1.30 on Thursday, so anything that happens after this doesn't count for my purposes, as they're probably going to get lit up this afternoon. But who has had the best rotation in baseball in the early season? 
I would obviously maybe want to say the the Mets or the Indians, but I'm guessing that's not the answer. I already know you know the answer. It's the Philadelphia Phillies, right? Which is actually shocking. When you think about that team expected to lose about 700 games, that rotation's been stellar. 250 ERA, which is best so far. 267 FIP, fielding independent pitching, which is second best so far. And it's really a, a kind of a, an interesting collection of guys. You know, Aaron Nola was a top pick. Jeremy Hellickson is just kind of a, a veteran guy to fill a spot. Uh, Velasquez came from Houston. And uh, Jared Eikhoff came in the Cole Hamels trade. Those guys have really been impressive. All four of them have an above-average strikeout percentage so far. It's, it's a cool staff. You know, it's sort of a mix. I mean, Velasquez has a pedigree. He was a big prospect. Yep. He was a big part of that trade. Um, Nola also high, high first, pick. First-round draft pick. Yeah, Eikhoff is a little bit of a diamond in the rough. The 15th-round pick out of a college album uh, that I'd never heard of. I, I, th- I saw him throwing curveballs the other night, and it was stellar. And that's really what stands about this team. They have the highest average curveball spin rate in baseball at 2647 RPM. The MLB average last year was 2307, so that's considerably above average. And not only that, they have the most swinging strikes on curves. Now, that's the most raw number because they've thrown the most. That's percentage. I think they're seventh. But I think those two things go hand in hand. A high spin rate is going to get you a lot of swinging strikes. Yeah, and the, the fifth guy in the rotation, Charlie Morton, um, I was actually looking at the um, lowest exit velocity allowed by pitchers thus far this year. And, of course, I only wrote down the top three, so I can't remember where he was. <laughs> but he was in the top ten. So Well, that, that's right. He's not getting hit hard, but he's also not hitting the plate. His walk rate is like a billion right now, so that's his issue. But it's interesting. All five of those guys are really fascinating. And, uh, you know, that team, the bullpen, I don't know, but that team could be more interesting than we thought this year. I'm, I'm of the belief that that team's turnaround will be much faster than people think it will be because they have they already have the makings of a decent rotation. Um, and even if you, if you believe in Mark Appel, well, maybe that's another guy. They've got J.B. Grover on the way. They basically, Ryan Howard is going to come off the books. They have the ability to carry a big payroll. So that they could be players in free agency, basically. Yeah. I mean, Howard's the only guy who's making big money this year, I think. I, I think that's probably true. And I, I'm not going to use the T word around here, but I've talked to fans. And I'm like, are you, what do you think about this team? They're probably not going to be very good this year. And they're like, we're excited. Like, we're sick of watching the old core, like, try to stagger along. I want to see J.P. Crawford come up. I want to see Noel. I want to see Michael Franco, who we've talked about a lot. This Homer is again like, yesterday. Homer again yesterday. I mean, this is the, the core of the next good Phillies team. It's not going to be reflected in wins and losses this year, but this is actually, th- these are the guys who are going to form that team that is good. You know, we don't want to read too much into a week, and, you know, you can hold this against me later in the year, but, you know, early in the year, before the season started, the talk was Phillies, people were grouping the Phillies and Braves together. I think that's going to look very silly. There's separation now, <laughs> and I don't say that because the Braves are 0-7 at the moment. I mean, I partially say that, but, you know, I, I think the I think Phillies actually, but, is 0-8, yeah, and yeah. we'll see who can even keep track. Uh, so anyway, the Phillies are a whole lot more interesting than we gave them credit for. So if we're talking about the NL East, we should probably stay in the NL East and go to the Mets, because we've talked a lot about the Mets all winter, because obviously they went to the World Series last year. Fascinating team. And, and there's a lot of velocity trends that have stood out about the Mets for me. And I think the first one is that, and you came up with this, they have allowed the lowest average exit velocity uh, as pitchers, 86.7 miles an hour. That's the best in baseball. Uh, counterpoint, they have hit for the lowest average exit velocity in baseball, 87.2. And I think that's an interesting dichotomy so far. Well, yeah, for, for Mets fans who might be worrying, at least the, the pitching for the most part, despite the fact that Matt's got rocked in his first start and that Matt Harvey has not really been missing Matt, bats, the pitching thus far has been effective. Right. And, and in addition to those two things you mentioned, uh, Jake uh, DeGrom has been you know, either injured or his velocity has been down and now he's away from the baby. It hasn't really been a great start rotation-wise for that team other than Noah Syndergaard, who is basically a god amongst humans. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they're, they're really doing well. But what's interesting to me is uh, you look at that team and you think of flamethrowing. And so I looked at that team and I said, I think they're going to do better this year because they got rid of Jonathan Neese, who doesn't throw hard. They got rid of Dylan G, who doesn't throw hard. And uh, last year they had 
23.9% of their pitches, 24% were 95 and above. Now, so far, it's only 23%. It's actually less than last year. Maybe it's because it's been cold the first week. Possibly true, but I think it's because DeGrom last year threw 35% of his pitches over 95, and this year he's thrown 0% of his pitches over 95. Yeah, well, well, it remains to be seen if that lat issue that sidelined him and may end up putting him on the DL is part of the reason, and maybe he comes back and is throwing harder again, or it's possible, you know, pitchers, they're – their velocity does go down with age. Does yeah. this, I mean, doesn't necessarily mean they'll become less effective, but it often does. But sometimes it means you have to learn how to pitch differently. And that brings us to Matt Harvey, who's kind of a good example because his velocity is down a little bit too. He's still throwing his average fastball still above 95. Yeah, we had him at 51% above 95 last year. Now it's, it's 34%. So basically from a half to a third, which is still pretty good. But I think you found something interesting about his spin too. Yeah, it's. I mean, last year it was 2,300 plus on his fastball. And this year it's just above 2,200. So it helps explain why he isn't really getting nearly as many swinging strikes. In his, in his start on Sunday, he had one swinging strike on his fastball, which could be cause for concern, but it also could be the evolution of a pitcher. Um, his ground ball rate is above 50%, which it's never been before. And last year he talked about how to try and pitch deeper into games. He was trying to pitch more to contact. So this could be him kind of trying to figure out what pitcher he is, and maybe he's going to be less of a strikeout pitcher, and maybe – this is an early season blip. We just something to keep an eye on. We should reiterate what those numbers mean as far as spin. So 2,300 to 2,200, uh, that 2,300 RPM would, would be above average. And we know that above average spin for a fastball tends to lend itself to swinging strikes. 2,200 is pretty close to being league average, which is generally not what you want to see in a fastball. But you're right. If he's getting fewer swinging strikes, at least he's getting more uh, ground balls out of it. And, you know, that could help kind of counteract it. But you're right. He might be a very different guy than we saw last year. I mean, and I mean... Right now, he is 11th amongst pitchers in exit, among, in, starters in exit velocity against, which at least suggests while he's pitching more to contact, he's at least inducing weak contact. So, you know, maybe that's – I'm not saying he's about to suddenly become Bob Tewksbury, Tuk but – That's a name. <laughs> that is not a name I expected to hear today. Uh, but let's go to their offense for a second. You know, we mentioned that they've got the lowest exit velocity as a team, and Mets fans are just pulling their hair out over the offense, even though it's been like 10 minutes into the season – especially with Daniel Murphy hitting the ball well in Washington. You look at a couple of these guys. Estrubal Cabrera, 83 miles an hour exit velocity, also has zero walks. Neil Walker, 87 miles an hour exit velocity, also has zero walks. I think both of those guys will be better. They're clearly acquired more for their offense than their defense. But Cespedes I find really interesting. Off to a slow start, his exit velocity is exactly the same as it was when he was with the Mets last year, 92.6. And you think to yourself, that's stunning. He was destroying the ball last year, and now he's not doing anything. How is that possible? Well, strikeout percentage is up from 21% to 34%. He's missing a ton more strikes, and I think we saw this with Adam Conley in the Marlins last night. He struck him out three times on high fastballs, uh, and that's a trend. Uh, his first couple years in the big leagues, he would see 19 to 21% of balls being three foot off the ground or higher. So far this year, 28%. I think people are finding that hole. Yeah, it certainly seems to be that the uh, the book is out on, uh, on Cespedes, and it'll be interesting to see if he can learn to lay off the pitch just enough that, to keep pitchers more on. It's not even about learning to hit the pitch. Yeah. Or Because um, usually they're not strikes. Yeah, it's, it's just learning to lay it off enough to keep pitchers off it, honest and get more in the zone pitches, pitches that he, he can handle. He did hit hit one the other night. I think that was like any sweet the uh, the launch angle uh, exit velocity sweet spot for home runs. Um, maybe a little high. It was like thirty five degrees, but it was up in a huge wind. Basically, like Christian Yelich caught it like standing with his back against the wall. <laughs> you know what? I think I remember that because I, I remember tweeting about it. It was in front of the three fifty eight sign, and Stackhouse had it tracked as three fifty seven point one, and that made me feel real good about all the the technology. But what you're saying is that was would you call that a barrel? 
It was actually above. A, oh, it was, it was above a barrel. It was above a barrel. Because I, I thought maybe he'd be unlucky on a barrel. No, that was. Uh, but it was. I think you, it was usually what would be a home run zone. But uh, it, it's unfortunate it, for him it didn't get out because of the wind. But anyway, I, I, I want to get back to barrels in a second. But first, I want to talk about another player with an alar alarming early season trend. One of the big names of the off season, probably part of the most controversial in, trades of the in off season. Decades. I mean, the one off season, I can't remember a trade like that. <laughs> um, and that's Shelby Miller. Shelby Miller has some alarming early season trends. Yes. Uh, so far, I mean, there's, I don't even know where to start here. His velocity is down. 95.1 last year to 93.6, so that's not a good start. Again, it's cold weather, although I guess he's actually pitched mostly at home or in Arizona. I don't think he's been anywhere cold yet. No. So I don't think that's actually affected him. Uh, and it's interesting because the velocity is down, but he's using that fastball a whole lot more. Last year he threw a sinker 22% of the time. This year, not at all. Uh, last year he threw his fastball 43% of the time, and now it's up to 60%. So he's using a fastball that's going slower a lot more, and that's a, that's a weird choice to me. Yeah, and it has not. The results have not been good. He's at, uh, his exit velocity against right now is ninety five point eight miles that's, per hour, which lot. is second worst among all starting pitchers. Uh, Arizona as a team has the worst exit velocity against. When you consider they brought in Cranky and Miller to sort of basically yeah. make their give them an elite rotation, that's a a, uh, a terrible early season sign. And the, other, the the big issue for me with Miller is that he's also not really striking guys out. Six point five per nine thus far, so. He's basically throwing fastballs whatever the plate that are getting hit. So, um, so he's throwing the sinker less, so he's not trying to get ground balls, and he's throwing the fastball more to strike out guys, but he's not striking them out. I mean, the one good sign, I guess, like, is that home runs per fly ball is what? It's like 30%. That's obviously... A, a third of every fly ball leaves the park. That's not going to sustain. What but, if it did? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the if, you, if you're going to be allowing that much contact, hard contact, you have to be missing bats, and he's not. And he's just out. not. Um, so that has to be uh, concerning if you're... Uh, uh, rooting for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think that was an underrated part of that trade is, is him going to that ballpark in Arizona. It certainly doesn't help. Uh, they gave up a lot. They need him to not be okay. They need him to be excellent. And I, it's, it's a long way to go to get back to excellent right now. Yeah, the, the last thing I want to touch on on this show is uh, Shelby's former team, the Braves. We mentioned them before. They are off to uh, a poor start, to say the least. Um, and uh, right now, I don't know if this is, this is one of those things where I'm not sure if it's if it's luck or not or what it is, but right now on, on barrels, which we've talked about on the show, which are balls with an exit velocity above 100 miles per hour with a launch angle between 10 and 30, just a, a colloquial stat that, that Mike hard and I hit, just... Hard hit line drives. Hard hit line drives. Well, Major League um, Baseball hits like 700 or something on those they, kind of The things. league slugs uh, just a, a shade under 2,000 on them. Braves pitchers are, are allowing a 31-25 slugging percentage on such... Batted balls. So they are, I don't know if that's bad luck. Is it bad luck? Is it bad defense? defense um, is it that we're grouping everything over 100 and all of those for them are like 118? It could be. that. So Braves have by far the worst in baseball. Their pitchers have allowed by far the worst in baseball um, on, on, on balls like that. Even worse, as hitters, they're slugging 1,300 on such balls, which is 27 in baseball. So theoretically, you could argue they're getting unlucky on them as hitters. Right and getting unlucky on them as pitchers. 1,300 with a league average of, of 1,970. So yeah. they're getting less out of those balls than the, the average. On both sides of the ball. On both sides of the ball. <laughs> on both sides of the ball. That and is the, how you start out 0-8. <laughs> yeah. The flip side of that is the uh, the Nationals, who they've played now. This will be their seventh game today. they played them six yeah. times. Listen, I love the Nationals. Can we just slow our roll on them for a minute until they start playing other teams? Yeah, the Nationals... Um, as a team, their pitchers have allowed a 13-33 slugging on quote-unquote barrels, well below league average. So their pitchers, again, this could be great outfield defense, or this could be you know balls that are just 101 miles per hour, so maybe they're, they're 
just barely just reaching. barely making it. Does that say more about the Washington pitchers than the Atlanta hitters? We got to we got to wait until we start seeing some other teams yeah. come around. Um, and then and I think from looking at this, they're the second luckiest, not luckiest, but second most productive, uh, tied for first actually most productive with St. Louis on the barrels too. So it's kind of interesting that both of these two teams are at the, are they, opposite are they extreme, on the extreme. So both exactly, pitching and hitting. It seems to me this lends more to what you were saying about the national, the quality of the Nationals versus the the Braves. Yeah, if the Nationals are still doing this in a month when they've started going through some other teams, then we'll talk about it. Hey, you know, if you're a good team, you got to beat up on the bad teams. No question, the Nationals are doing what a good team needs to do. So you you can't take that away from them. But in terms of rating them against the other teams and top teams in baseball, I think it's way too early to evaluate them when they're basically, all they've done this far is beat the Braves. Right. And for the record, I do love what the Braves are doing long-term. They have so much talent in that farm system. It's just not going to be a good year this year. It's going to be another year or two before we see some of those guys come up. But long-term, I love what they're doing, and it, it'll be interesting to see three or four years from now, are the Braves and Nationals at the top of the East? I could totally see that. No question. All right. Hey, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Ken Rosenthal was really good. I enjoyed having him on. And as always, Matt, I love talking about baseball with you. And uh, you know, I'm pretty sure there's about nine games going on right now, so let's go watch all those. Sounds like a plan. This has been the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Matt Myers here with me. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.